You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Warning! Today's episode contains copious spoilers for the finale of Book of Boba Fett. Um, and really, that's it. I think we spoil some uh, stuff from the original Star Wars trilogy. So if by wild chance you're not familiar with the original trilogy, just be aware of that. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't watched the finale of Book of Boba Fett, do that now. Then come back and listen and give us five stars. My name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture in today's episode on Previously On. We uh, discuss the incredible raft of news that dropped mere moments before we hit record on this podcast. In the airlock, we talk the Book of Boba Fett finale, Ride That Rancor, baby, on Nerd Out. A listener proposes that we all engage with Jim Butcher's Dresden Files. And in the endgame, we discuss the Medal of Yavin, who gets it from the Book of Boba Fett, our picks for the winner of the Book of Boba Fett. And joining us today, the legend, the myth, the icon, the brilliant Rosie Knight. Rosie, how are you? Hello, I'm good. It's nice to have moved from mythological status to real life status talking to you. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Rosie, how are you, first of all? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Still 2022, but we're living. And there was so much news before we started recording. It's like, we were like, oh yeah, we know what we're covering today. We're just going to talk about Boba Fett. We're going to say some things might happen. It's like, everything is happening. Uh, Let's talk news. First of all, the Lord of the Rings first look piece dropped on Vanity Fair with a byline from Anthony Brezikin and Joanna Robinson. We get a look at the actors who are playing the various characters. We'll have more to say about this after the trailer drops during the Super Bowl. But any initial reactions, Rosie? I think it continues to prove what we thought Amazon was trying to prove, which is like craft and texture and practicality. It looks really good. And it, it looks, looks really, really real. They, they sh- a lot of what they shared was costume focused, practical focused, Smart. set focused. And yeah, it looks really good. And I think it's like people are going to be stoked that Galadriel's really there, played yeah. by who they thought it was going to be played by. And, and, and kind of this is our first look at proper characters and yes. kind of how they look in the world. And I think it looks really cool. I'm stoked to see the trailer. Uh, some of the characters include... Owain Arthur as Prince Durin IV, the elf Arendir, played by Ismail Cruz Cordova, of course, Galadriel Elrond, played by Robert Arameo, and more. I think it's very smart to show how much of the craft is front and center in this show, because there's no shortage of sci-fi slash comics slash fantasy adaptions that have been sunk 
because the wigs look bad. You know, the mm-hmm. wigs just look cheap. And that is not the case with this. Everything looks really real and lived yeah. in, and I can't wait to see the trailer. Uh, speaking of Super Bowl trailers, some rumors for uh, trailers that might drop during the Super Bowl. Now, Jurassic World Dominion dropped today. So yeah. that's out. We've got dinosaurs. Like, in the American <laughs> West, it is... Yellowstone meets dinosaurs yeah. meets a surprise, like, cloning plot. I don't care. I'm in. Me too. Chris Pratt's, like, riding a motorcycle through Italy, being yeah. chased by raptors. And then Laura Dern is there looking really cool. And Sam Neill's there looking really cool. back together again. Involved? Yeah. Who knows? I hope that finally we'll get to see a, a romantic connection. I love those two. Probably one of my original childhood ships. But yeah, it looks absolutely bonkers. And I will be watching it. I also love the fact that it's, like... Chris Pratt's character has smuggled his pet raptor blue like out of the island and is just like raising it. Yeah. And his clone adopted daughter. His spoiler alert. (laughs) I'm this is uh, I'm excited. This is gonna be wild. Uh, I love Jurassic World. I love all the Jurassics. I just like dinosaurs stomping around, incredible music. It's got it all. So, okay. Unconfirmed trailers for the Super Bowl, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Do you think we'll see it? It would make sense. I mean, the movie comes out pretty soon. Uh, May 6th. A Disney sizzle reel for their upcoming Disney Plus shows, which would include uh, some Moon Knight stuff, some Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, and possibly more. I would not be surprised to see that. And possibly, might we see, for the Sonic fans out there, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The first trailer was released in December, but could there be another one? They've had some TV spots uh, recently, like I saw one yesterday. So, like, I feel like Sonic's already out there, but I do feel like people want to see more of Idris Elba. Idris Elba is Knuckles, so I'm sure that people will want to see that. Will it be a Super Bowl trailer? I don't know. This year is so weird. I'm just like, maybe, maybe that will be the big superhero trailer. Donut King and Sonic, back again. Let's talk about Kenobi. Uh, We got a poster and a release date and a a short plot synopsis for Kenobi. A synopsis as follows. The story begins 10 years after the dramatic events of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan Kenobi faced his greatest defeat, the downfall and corruption of his best friend and Jedi apprentice, Anakin Skywalker, who turned to the dark side as the evil Sith Lord, Darth Vader. Spoiler for everybody who has not seen the original trilogy. (laughs) That uh, show will release on May 25th. I'm extremely excited for it. The poster looks intriguing. I would not be surprised if a bunch of the kind of dangling ends from Book of Boba Fett are picked up in this show, which, of course, doesn't match up timeline-wise, but there's certain things about Tatooine, et cetera, like references that didn't get answered in the Book of Boba Fett that I think, I wonder if we will get answers to those things in this show. They're definitely... um... They're definitely in the space of of trying to make everything really interconnected. So I yeah. think that's a really good call. Also, I think um, if anyone wants to do some pre-reading, I know that we like to do that here. So yes. there's this comic series called From the Journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And they have it as a trade. You can get it on Comixology. You can get it from your local comic shop. And the costume he has here with the big hood over his head and everything, it's really evocative of that series. And that series is kind of him in the desert, just like having some adventures, helping people out. So I think that could kind of be a at least an aesthetic inspiration, even if it's not a literal narrative one. So I think it's going to be really exciting. I love you and McGregor. Yeah. I love Benny Safdie, who for some reason is in this movie. So like <laughs> in this show. So I'm just like so flex. ready for that. I know. It's unbelievable. 
unbelievable. Good time to Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, like, when we haven't even, like, Hayden Christensen returning as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. Uh, just, I like, can barely insane. believe it. Kumail, does he does he get the shirtless, like, moment in this? Do we get to see the rippling muscles? One of my favorites, Adira Varma. She's so good. From Game of Thrones, from Rome, from many other things. One of my very, very favorites. Uh, super, super excited for this. Next up, Futurama returns on Hulu after uh, runs on Fox, reruns on Adult Swim, and a uh, short revival at Comedy Central. Futurama, the creation of Matt Groening and David X. Cohen, will return on Hulu for a 20-episode run premiering in 2023. Uh, this is important for many reasons. One, because Futurama is hilarious. And two, because our... Sometime co-host Cody Zig Ziglar boop, boop. is on the writing staff of the show. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And then finally, Rosie, what have you been reading? What have you been up to? Any any wrecks for the people before we move on to the discussion? Yes, I have been reading this book that was on my library's hold list for a really long time since it came out called Devil House by John Darnell. And it is so good. It's like really scary it's about a true crime author who moves into a house that where a murder purportedly took place but it's it's not it, every time you think you know what the book is you don't it's like an excavation of true crime culture it's an excavation oh, of like family secrets it's like it's really meta but it's really engaging and it looks and feels like a classic kind of 70s horror novel but it, it it's just so great like i actually had a different book i was gonna wreck but i i started reading this and i was just like everyone needs to read this it's it's so gripping and immersive and and spooky and and very timely with all the way that true crime kind of permeates our culture now what about you i'm gonna put that on uh, my list after i finish andy weir's hail mary which for anybody that liked the martian andy weir is back in the martian mode which is like super brilliant scientist is like, wow, science, while dead people are like all around him and he's fine with it because the science is amazing, uh, which is exactly what I want from anywhere. I just finished The Absolute Book by Elizabeth Knox. Elizabeth Knox is a, a New Zealand author who worked mainly in fantasy and YA. And The Absolute Book is like just an incredible blend of various mythologies and influences. It's a fantasy novel with aspects of like true crime, much like you were uh, you were talking about. There's there's a murder that sets the ball rolling. There is Norse mythology. There's Irish uh, mythology all blends together in this really unique world and take on the fantasy genre with undercurrents of like climate change and the state of our cultural politics. It's really cool and really well done with like the opening of it is really propulsive and a book that I was not sure where it was going to go at any given time. I really enjoyed it. It's long. Be warned. It's like 700 pages, folks, but it was really <laughs> good. If you're looking for a, a fantasy novel, the absolute book, it's good. Also, I went to um, with our good friend Mallory Rubin. I went to a uh, this rare book fair in Pasadena and picked up a first edition uh, Cimmerillion. No like way. Bucks, first like 70 bucks. It was great. Saw a lot of cool other books, like all these like super cool, like uh, astonishing science, old pulps and stuff signed by Ray Bradbury. A lot of stuff that was just like way too expensive to buy. But here's the thing about rare books. The wild stuff is like way too expensive but why isn't it more expensive? They had like a first folio Shakespeare from 1680 that was like 
$75,000. Like, why is that not like $5 million? I don't <laughs> understand, but that's f- absolutely fine. They had like a first edition uh, Emma by uh, Jane Austen that was, you know, that's like from what, 1815, which was like super expensive also, but also like not crazy. Like, uh, it's like if I was a rich guy, I think I'd buy it. Uh, <laughs> it was really fun and, and it was great to hang out. Up next, let's talk Book of Boba Fett finale. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Folks, we're stepping out of the airlock to dive into the finale of the Book of Boba Fett titled In the Name of Honor, written by John Favreau, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Let's get into the recap. We open up with Boba and Fennec Shand in the ruins of Garza Flip's sanctuary cantina. Bells, I guess, for uh, Garza Flip. I was holding out hope that maybe uh, she survived that Max Rebo survived, that the other members of the band survived. But I think everybody might have bought it. I'm still saying that Max Rebo was on his day off. I will not accept it. But I do feel like they've basically returned Max Rebo to his like pre-new era continuity where it was like, we didn't know what was, did he survive the barge? Did he not? So I'm taking it that they're doing this but in my head canon, he is definitely still alive. I will not. I mean, my my guy survived the bard, so he has <laughs> survived worse. I hope that he's still out there. Tentative bells for Garza Fwip. Yeah, I, I'm hoping Max made it. Fett worried about the war that is to come, the war with the Pikes. It is here. Uh, Fett worries that uh, the cost of this war is going to fall hardest of the citizens of Moss Espa. Mando arrives and is like, good news, folks. Cobb Vanth. Remember him? And the people of Freetown. They're calling it Freetown now, okay? Uh, it's n- no longer uh, the Mos Pelgos territories. This is Freetown now. Are coming to our aid there. Joining the fight, folks. It's good news. Now, of course, Mando does not know that Cad Bane wounded slash killed Cobb Vanth. Uh, and certainly murdered the uh, Cobb's young deputy just mere moments after Din left Cobb Vanth. And Vanth and his people will do the job for free, Mando says. It's kind of free. It's free in terms of money, but Boba needs to let the people of Freetown shut down the spice trade. That's the deal. Shand is like, I don't know, that's like a lot of money. And Boba's like, don't worry about it. In the, I know we're going to take an economic hit. 
because all of my illegal activity finances are based on this, <laughs> or at least some large amount, but it'll work out in the long run. We don't know how, but Boba seems confident that it will work out in the in the long run. But still, even with Chrysanthemum, with the mods, with Fennec at his side, Boba's side is outnumbered. They're outnumbered. Boba wants to wait out Vance's arrival at Jabba's palace where, it, you know, it's more defensible there. But then scat and trash of the mods are like, OK, coward, go hide in your mansion away from the people. Our solidarity with our proletariat brothers demands that we not retreat one step from the ruins of Mos Espa's premier nightclub sanctuary. So Boba's like, OK. Fine, we'll we'll meet the foe here. Now, this is a terrible idea. Terrible. Terrible. So the idea is we're concerned about the citizens of Mos Espa. So understanding that Boba is the target of this fight, we should remain here amongst the people of Mos Espa so that the battle is closest to the people we are trying to protect. Drash, I don't think it's a good idea, but you're young and you got that fire and you care about the people. So, like, let's go with it and just see... Where the chips fall. I, I feel like Boba's got to stop taking as much advice from teenagers. And I actually love, <laughs> I love the mod squad. I love the cool. I do love them weird, as well. Weird, like robot great. arm. Like that's the cyberpunk stuff that we never get to see where people make those choices and that makes their lives better. And those are like cool additions to their bodies and the way that they live their life. So I love that yeah. aspect. But also I'm like, Boba, you could have just gone somewhere far away and made Cad Bane meet you there so that Mos Espa yeah. would have been like, okay. As we see, yeah. this plan does go terribly wrong. <laughs> it goes very, very sideways, but nobody ever really presses Boba on it later. Anyway, that night, Cad Bane is stalking the streets of Moss Eisley. He arrives at the Pike's headquarters. The mayor is there. <gasps> the mayor of Moss Espa is there talking with the Pike captain. Cad reports uh, that Freetown will stay neutral. They'll stay out of it. And the mayor worries that, what about, does Fett have any other allies? What about the Tuscans? Remember when he was with the Tuscans for a while? Pike Captain says, ha, 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 guess what? They're all dead. And we kill them. And Boba Fett thinks the Nikto Raiders did it. And Boba committed genocide against the Nikto Raiders. So we're good. <laughs> that is like completely, that, that contract is closed. That is completely shut down. Don't worry about it. Boba will never find out. And all of that is tied up with a bow. The mayor objects to the bombing of Garsif Whips. Uh, the mayor is like, listen, what am I going to be mayor of if you guys mm -hmm. just completely destroyed the city? So please stop doing that. This is obviously a problem since Fett and company are holed up in the ruins of Sanctuary. And Cad says, Cad Bane says, whoa, 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 hold on. I think I know how I can get Fett out into the open. And to be fair, it's not even like a secret plan. It's literally just like I walk up and like say some stuff. Anyway, in Mos Eisley... It's nighttime, and X-Wing lands at Pelimoto's uh, garage. Peli and her droids leap to attention. They're thinking the New Republic Popo are here to raid the joint and check their certificates and see if they have the correct documentation. But it's actually uh, Grogu and R2-D2 at the wheel of this ship. No cops. Peli tells R2 that uh, Mando is in Mos Espa, and then she feeds Grogu a massive tray of eels. Grogu's hungry. Grogu's hungry. hungry. And also good. I, uh, I'm i pretty sure this is like such a weird silly Easter egg, but I'm pretty sure this is like a 
episode one video game Easter egg where I think there's dungworms and she says they're dungworms or something like that. I'm sure one of our listeners can get me right, but I'm pretty sure it. that it's a it's a really one of those one of those things that we've said we liked about this show where they're constantly bringing in weird little bits of canon. So yes, the baby eats some more gross food. This time they are Ely worms. <laughs> He's a, it's just very, very hungry, growing boy. Um, back in Mos Espa, uh, Fennec briefs the leadership. This is a weird, very tell-don't-show scene in which Fennec lays out their really not great plan, but... Again, we're going with it. This is a democracy in action. So the rest of the gangs, the Trandoshans, the Aquilish, the Clutinians, are going to honor their pact with Fett and stay on the sidelines, Shan says, very unconvincingly. Uh, the Gamorians are going to go patrol the spaceport with, like, two butcher knives. Chrysanthemum is at City Hall by himself. And the mods are going to be with their comrades in the workers' district. Everyone is keeping an eye out for the pikes. Uh, and, I, and I say that with not meaning to take a shot at SCAD. As you see... Fennec says, all our flanks are covered. No one is sneaking up on us. Okay, not the case, That's but cool. whatever. That's jinxing yourself. Right. Once Cobb Vanth and the Freetown people arrive, you know, Fett will have the numbers and then it'll be okay. And then uh, Matt Berry, the voice of 8D8, announces in that beautiful, beautiful, silky, thick baritone that uh, someone is here to speak to Fett and it is Cad Bane. Now, of course, Fett and Bane have a long history and we get we we get that wonderfully played out here, I thought, in one of... Yeah. Anytime Cad Bane is on the screen and talking to Boba Fett, it is like, wow, this is great that we're seeing this. Fett gives Cad a version of Leia's I thought I smelled that foul, your foul stench kind of line. Bane is like, listen, I'm here on behalf of the, of the Pikes. Uh, we would like to uh, negotiate your surrender. But was like, no, no dice. You got to clear out. And Cat is like, oh, well, guess what? Cobb Vance is dead and his people aren't coming. You should never have left him without his armor. And then Cat's backup appears on the parapets and it's clear that all of a sudden Boba is heavily outnumbered with no chance of reinforcements. And Cad gives Boba one last opportunity. Let the spice flow, as in Frank Herbert's Dune or else. <laughs> Boba says no. He's not going to talk to the help. He's not going to talk to Cad Bane, who's just like a hired gun. He wants to talk to the Pikes. He wants to talk to the Pike Syndicate leadership. And that's it. Cad then drops that, guess what? You want to talk to the Pikes? They're the people who killed your Tuscan family. What now? But you didn't know that. And this is like a fun callback to yet again uh, a moment from A New Hope in which an innocent party is framed for the murder of an indigenous Tatooine tribe. Boba just knows deep in his bones that this is true, what Cad is telling him. And so Cad says, like, why don't we just duel over it? Boba is like, I can take you. He can't. He definitely can't. Uh, Fennec Shand has to come out and talk Boba down. Bane is like, you're soft now. You towered. And then he walks away. Right then, Drash uh, radios in to say something in the workers' part in the workers' quarter feels really, really weird. And then boom, and a massive ambush that is happening all across town. Uh, the Aqualish gangs of the quarter ambush the mods. The Trandoshans ambush uh, Chrysanthemum, which, you know, really pisses him off. And the Clutinians attack the Gamorians. Let me just say this about <laughs> the way Boba and his team outfitted the Gamorians. The Gamorians die here. Spoiler. Bells for the Gamorian guards. 
They get pushed over a fucking cliff. It is so heartbreaking and horrible. It is heartbreaking. It just happens. It's just like, pow, you're dead. The squeal, like the squeal as they fall is terrible. Boba, you have your two guards who are incredibly loyal to you. You spared their lives and they are just down for you. They'll do, they, they have put themselves in massive danger many times over the course of the series. They don't have armor. They're out there with mm-hmm. no shirts on and shorts with no shoes. And all you give them is like kind of big steak knives in a world in which blasters and like various grenades and laser beams are possible. And you give them like large knives. They're not cut out for this. They're not ready to fight off the attack that takes them down. No. You failed them, Boba. The, you failed them. The, the poor Gamorians. The collateral damage here is like, this show has such a high body count already, and the collateral damage <laughs> in, this, in this episode, you're just like, wow, this plan was so bad. I don't know. It's I under- very bad. I understand you were ambushed, but I just feel like the number one rule in any tactical situation or a horror movie or anything is like, don't split up. If you got up. if you got a ragtag crew, you're not Don't a tactically trained group who know all these different ways. You just some ragtag space folks. Like you know what? Just stick yeah, together, don't guys. Do Don't those split up. Yeah. You two uh, take your knives to the spaceport and just lock it down. No, that's not going to work. Boba and Shand are completely shook by this ambush. They are taken unaware as they are shocked at what is happening. The mods and Chrysanthemum can be overrun at any moment. Vant and the Freetowners aren't coming. So Fennec is like, okay, we launch, we split up even further. We launch a decapitation strike on the Pike leadership on Moss Isley. The Major Domo under duress is like, guess what? I know where the H, where the Pike uh, headquarters is, the Desert Survey Office, right there. Shan sets off at a sprint for Moss Isley. And we get that, uh, you know, the moment in Avengers, uh, Marvel's The Avengers, when it seems like the mm-hmm. Chitauri are going to win. We get that moment here. But then Fennec Shan badasses the mods out of trouble. She tells him, listen, go to Sanctuary, where you should have been anyway, okay, and go help Boba. <laughs> at that moment, the Pikes are surrounding the burnt-out cantina. But luckily, it seems like Cad Bane isn't there. He's out doing who where knows what. Where is he? Yeah, where is what is he doing? Like it's popping off, and Cad Bane is like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm taking a, I'm taking a dump. There's nowhere to take a shit in this entire city now that Sanctuary is gone. The only place with a public restroom. I'm burying my poop in the desert. Sorry, I heard the shots, but I couldn't come because <laughs> it takes me five hours to poop. So uh, Boba and Mando are facing down the pikes from the air. They're flying around." As a Mandalorian, Din's Creed uh, will not allow him to leave Boba's side. The Major Domo offers an alternative to fighting, perhaps. He majored in negotiation in college on Coruscant, and he is uniquely qualified to act as an interlocutor for Fett and the Pikes. So Fett says, okay, go ahead. Here's my demands on on an iPad. Take this out and read it to them. The Domo uh, reads the demands to the Pikes, and they are as follows. Nothing. You will leave this planet at your spice trade. If you refuse these terms, the arid sands of Tatooine will once again flourish with flowered fields fertilized with the bodies of your dead. Who knew Boba was a poet like this with the alliteration? I with know. the F alliteration? Also one of the few, if not only times that somebody's ever written in live action Star Wars. <laughs> I know. 
also, like, Boba just really typed that out quick. Like, first draft. This guy has it. He's got the bars. Also, the major domo, why was he surprised by that? He could have just read it before he went out there. Like, when he starts reading know, it, like, he's <laughs> horrified. And I'm just like, my guy, he could have just read it before. Like, Yeah, you got to do that. But you know what? You gotta, you... Well done. And it leads to a very badass Fet Mando team up, which I think everyone wanted. We wanted it and we got it. They strike from the air using their jetpacks. They're flying around. We get the big fight, which is very, very big and takes up most of the remaining episode. Side by side, Fett and Mando unleash a storm of blaster shots, knee rockets, wrist rockets, everything at the pikes and the homes and businesses of the citizens Mm -hmm. who Bobo has sworn to protect and who the mods were very worried about. Now they're fighting like outside of their doorsteps. It's okay. Only the Beskar is keeping Mando and Fett upright long enough for the forces of Freetown to arrive. Oh, big surprise. The forces of Freetown are here. We learned that Cobb Vanth is seriously wounded slash perhaps dead from his wounds. And then the mods arrive on the scene, followed quickly by an enraged Chrysanthemum who is limping into view. Boba shields the limping giant with his own Beskar-covered body. The pikes pull back. But they're only pulling back to allow for the arrival of a pair of Clone War era Scorpionek Annihilator droids. Boba and Mando draw the fire of the droids so Santo and the mods and the Freetowners can all just like get out of there. Their blasters, the Darksaber even, cannot penetrate the Annihilator's shields. Boba flies off to go get something without explaining to Din Djarin why he's leaving. He just leaves. Bye. Which you know for Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, must be like a dire violation of the creed mm-hmm. that you know Din Djarin is like, you fucko. <laughs> he's like, like, this isn't even my fight and I am here. Yeah. I am here. And you're here. like running back to get your keys or some your yeah. wallet that you left at Java's house, you fuckhead. Mando is just like running for his life and he runs straight into the waiting arms and open uh, car door of Pelimoto and her droids. They're just like racing around the city willy nilly, like trying to avoid getting stomped out by these annihilator droids. And who is in the car with Pelimoto? The baby. That's right, the baby. And he's wearing the chainmail shirt. And And Mando's like, what are you doing here? And it is a wonderful moment as every moment with Grogu on the screen is. Back to the fight, Drash says, folks, the Annihilators are annihilating us. Yes, that's true. But we can't fall back any further, and shouts to Sophie Thatcher's English accent here. Because I guess, like, her her logic is there's no cover if they fall back any further. She knows the neighborhood, and it's like, if you fall back any further, there's nowhere to hide. Just okay, desert, so I she... Guess. She comes up with a plan and tell me if you've heard this one before in the in the context of Star Wars. You take the high ground. <gasps> what about that? <laughs> what about that? Oh, Obi Wan Kenobi Rosie? Easter egg coming on May twenty fifth. <laughs> yes. What about that, Rosie? What if we take the high ground? The Freetowners uh, provide uh, Drash with a, a sniper rifle and a partner, and they go to find a rooftop from which to snipe. Meanwhile, Mando, Grogu, and Pelly are about to get blown up. So Boba. In the nick of time, arrives on Ranker back now. We had previously heard from Boba that it would take a lot of time and training to learn to tame uh, the Rancor and to ride it. And apparently that has been taking place off screen during this time. And it's fine now because Boba can just ride that thing and 
they are a devastating team. There's a brief moment in this that is so good. So the fight is going on. The Annihilator droids are like blasting everything. The Pikes are in the street shooting, shooting at the Freetowners, shooting at Chris Anton and the mods. And this is like a massive gun battle. Heat, Michael Mann's heat level gun <laughs> battle going on in the middle of Moss Espa, right? Then Boba arrives on Rankerback and we get this shot of the street merchants of Mos Espa who are like still at yep. their tables looking up and being like, oh my God, it's a rank. Why are you guys on the street? Dude, it's, the, it's this is, Why are you there? This is such like, you can really tell that Favreau and Rodriguez, like they're really going back to those Western influences on yes. Star Wars because they were like, what always happens in these kind of movies where it's like, there's a shootout and to show how bad the shootout is, you need to show everyone who's like selling booze or whatever or they're selling things on the street and then they run inside and they close their windows you know and this is that moment but you're like guys this should have happened like 10 minutes ago why were you still outside like how are you still alive yeah it's like a fucking two annihilator droids running around in the street and there's like a hawker out there like oh Melons, melons, <laughs> get your water, get your uh, juicy water providing melons here. Uh, two for three credits. It's like, guys, there's a war going on. So the Rancor comes and everybody is like, now that's it. That's the final straw. We're running away. Boba and his Rancor are just an incredible destructive force. This is <laughs> really, really fun to watch. Really, really cool. Mando ignites the Darksaber, slips inside Annihilator's shield, manages to slice it up. Then Grogu uses the Force to lift the droid up, saving Mando's life, but getting hit in the chest with a little bolt from the Annihilator, which sucks. Meanwhile, the Freetowners, the mods, and Chrysanthemum are holding up in this like little Alamo. And Drash and her Freetowner partner now are sniping from a roof. They're holding the pikes off long enough for Boba and the Rancor to finally destroy one of these Annihilators. Then Cad Bane shows up, showing a real veteran savvy here. Cad Bane hits the Rancor in the face with flames from his wrist unit, which uh, really bothers the Rancor. Boba and Cad have their showdown. Boba insists that uh, he's fighting to protect the people of Mos Espa. He's learned the value of teamwork and a tribe. This former loner has come full circle in his uh, emotional uh, growth. Boba has the absolute gall <laughs> as like a 60-year-old man, clone, to call Cad Bane old. <laughs> Cad Bane is then like, I'm going to beat your ass. And then he outdraws Boba and proceeds to beat his ass, but then Boba calling on his... Tuscan experience and the expertise that he gained as a member of that Tuscan tribe kills Cad Bane with the spear <gasps> point of his gaffy stick. Bells for Cad Bane. One of the greats. Shocking moment to lose Cad Bane here. Boba's pet rancor, enraged by like all the things that have happened, goes rampaging across Moss Espa. Din sees that the beast, now in full King Kong mode, even to the point of, like, climbing a tower, is afraid, and everybody shooting at it is not really helping. So he flies onto the Ranker's back, and Bronco Billy style, he's like, okay, I'm going to ride this fucking Bronco, and I'm going to tame it. No, that doesn't work. He gets thrown across the city, <laughs> and is forced to use a flamethrower to keep the Rancor from, like, eating his head. Mando quickly enters concussion protocol after getting, like, thrown through a wall. Grogu steps up and uses the force to basically Natasha the uh, the <laughs> rancor. Hey, big guy, the sun's getting real low. The force is with me, and go go to bed. 
the Rancor and Grogu go to take a long winter's nap. Shand arrives in Moss Eisley near the spiked heads of the stormtroopers at the desert survey office, and she wipes out the Pike leadership with ease, even going so far as to lynch the fucking mayor of Moss Eisley. She does that first, too. She's like, pow. This is what happened to him, so see what's going to happen to you. (laughs) I mean, I was not prepared. Listen, I I get it. The mayor is dirty. The mayor is corrupt. You You have no objection from me on that account. But I was not prepared for Fennec Shedd to lynch a elected official. (laughs) I'm very interested in this thing as well, because, like, you know, I know we'll talk about it more, but, like, it's very interesting to see Boba exploring this more familial, like, role, this soft, that he wants to be a good gangster. But the real reason he's been able to keep power is because Fennec is brutal and Fennec, like, knows what needs to be done. So this is, like, a really interesting way to essentially like end this part of the story. Fennec is an extreme badass as we get to see in these scenes. Later, Mos Espa is at peace, folks. All the all the fighting. Who's uh, gonna rebuild all the buildings the that the Rancor destroyed? They're like they're just chilling. They're like, yeah, oh, that's, at least that's on Boba now, as Daimyo, <laughs> the mayor listen, the mayor of Mos Espa is dead. We won't talk about how that happened. But you know, like I'm sure not a lot of people are gonna know that Fennec Shed which <laughs> the mayor, but they probably just know, blame it on the pikes. They're gonna they're gonna look to Boba Fett now to rebuild. He and Shan, Chrysanthemum, and the mods are now firmly in control in Mos Espa under the now peaceful twin Tatooine sons. Din and Grogu, meanwhile, fly off world to have their further adventures. Din is an unbelievable pushover when it comes he's to He's such a pushover. Like, <laughs> he's just been waiting to get told what to do by the baby he, again. I know. He's like tries to pretend like he's gonna be tough. Like, no. No, I'm not going to. What? No, stop tapping on your glass dome. No. Okay, fine. And then he uh, goes to light speed or hyperspeed or. The baby just wants to go into hyperspace. Because the baby loves to go fast. And then we get our stinger, which is Cobb Vanth stewing in Boba's back to tank and over overwatched by the modifying man, a.k.a. Thundercat, who is preparing to make Cobb Vanth a some sort of cybernetic Robocop. Robocop. I was hoping that we would get more. Yes, producer Saul brings up something interesting, which is like, why wasn't wasn't Chris Anton going to take a take uh-huh. a take a spin in the back to tank? My only thought there is Chris Anton, like we don't know that Wookiees have a healing factor, but Chris Anton shrugs off some pretty serious wounds without a back to tank like routinely. He that happens all the time with him. I, I also think that they specifically had Boba say that to him so that when we saw the stinger, we would assume it was Chrysanthemum and then be shocked when it was Cobb Vanth, who we thought was dead. When we're back, more Boba Fett. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. 
Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We're back. Let's talk about this finale. I thought it was fine. Yeah, it's it's, it's an fine. action. You know what? Yeah. It's an action episode. They actually kind of took a little bit more from the prestige TV uh, setup, especially Game of Thrones, where you have your big episodes in like the two last episodes, and then yes. the finale is like the kind of fallout episode. That is exactly right. So that that I think is interesting because this is very different to a lot of prestige TV. It's much more serialized flash Gordon esque storytelling, the kind of stuff that inspired original star Wars. I, I like all the action. I like all the characters. So I was fine with it. It definitely, it's tough because we all know that the Mandalorian and Grogu stuff is very moving and it gives that emotional heart. And I think for a lot of people, the last two episodes were really powerful for that reason. And because they put Boba back into that kind of mysterious, enigmatic cameo that he'd been that had worked so well. So I think this was like a little bit more of a kind of messy mashup. But like, I also like seeing people shooting each other and monsters in the desert. So I'm like, cool. I uh, I also love that. Listen, I love Boba riding a Rancor. I mm-hmm. love a great uh, big gun battle. I was a little... Here's the thing that I wonder, the Easter egg that was... And the reference that was, like, dropped multiple times over the course of the series, and I was like, oh, we're going to get an answer to this. The multiple references to Tatooine having an ocean in its ancient past, mm-hmm. I thought for sure that was going to play into the climax of the show somehow. And I wonder if we won't get something like that in the Obi-Wan show. I wonder, in Kenobi. Yeah, this definitely feels to me like it is a really, really fun kind of diversion. And it is really less about the... We talked about this in pre-pro, but like it's about expansion rather than like pushing things narratively forward. So I think all of that, even like Boba's little poem about the lush you know, plants of Tatooine and stuff. They're talking a lot about these different eras of Tatooine, mm. how it looked, how, so that I feel like that a lot of what happened here was sowing seeds and introducing stuff that might not have been known to people who haven't read the books or watched the cartoons and stuff like that. So that when it does come into Obi-Wan or Mandalorian season three, they'll be like, oh, I remember that from Boba Fett. Yeah. Or that, so I feel like that, this will be a series where a lot of people, when they're watching whatever the next thing is, are going to be coming back to and looking at those moments or quoting those teases and Easter eggs that seem to be building to something that when we watch it, we'll go, oh, that's what it was about. Or, oh, that's how we got here. Do you think we get a book of Boba Fett season two? Are we going to like... Is I it, don't Are we going to get something so. about... You don't think so? You don't I think, think just... Like a Tatooine, like a Moss Espa stories kind of anthology. I think it would be more thing. like that. I don't necessarily think it would be called the Book of Boba Fett. It might be something about Fennec. It might be a Fennec Shan spinoff. It could be a Mod Squad spinoff. It could. I think it's more likely that the Mandalorian is our narrative kind of thrust, the series that everything else is tied to. And I feel like these things that are building out the world, it's almost like the expanded universe. 
Maybe we would get mm. another series of Boba Fett, but I don't think it's going to... The Mandalorian could really go on for as many seasons as they want it to. It's that kind of... It's the Star Wars show. And I think these other ones are sort of like little stops on the wider map of the galaxy to explain... Yeah. Like, stuff that we learn about Mos Espa and the politics of it and the way that it's established now, we will go back to that in The Mandalorian Season 3, no question. Like, we are going to meet these characters. We're going to see Black Chrysanthemum. We're going to understand more because of what we saw here. But I don't necessarily know if the plan is for us to come back and directly continue this story. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I, I am really intrigued to know, you know, how the Boba Fett Daimyo project goes. He's he's cut himself off from a major source of income that the the that the business, the illicit business that he inherited from uh, Jabba depended on in large part. And now he's not going to have that. But he's also set himself up as someone who's going to support and defend the people of Mos Espa in a way that maybe they've they've never had before. So I would like to see more. But yeah, I, I, I wonder how they would do it. Thinking about the way that this show really became like the Mandalorian season two and a half, as mm -hmm. many have noted, uh, I do wonder if the feeling isn't we've done our Boba Fett thing. How do you feel about that, uh, by the way? I, a lot of people criticize the show because they're like, oh, Boba Fett is so boring as a character. It's bringing Mandalorian and, uh, you know, other sorts of criticisms like that, which I think are, are fair from a certain perspective. But also, like, obviously... I, as a human being, I'm in the tank for Star Wars because mm -hmm. I'm a Star Wars fan and I love <laughs> this shit. Um, that said, it feels like a weird criticism to me because, like, don't you – those were – when Mando came in, that's yep. when the story really took off. So I'm not going to sit here and criticize a, what I think is a really – unique and interesting creative decision just because it's like doesn't jive necessarily with the title of the show yeah. what did you think of that, that I, criticism? I think it's really interesting I think I think we kind of touched on it last week like my main thought about it which is basically I think it's really hard to make a show about someone like Boba Fett who's essentially an avatar character because yeah. everyone's just seen they can imagine all the cool things he does and you don't really have any confirmation of that within any ex canon except for the expanded canon and even there it's rare so trying to expand him on a live action is never going to sit well with everyone. But I actually, I like this reversion to the stuff that when The Mandalorian came out, a lot of people thought it was quite boring until the end yeah. of the, the first season. That's absolutely true. And, the, first and few, I, the first few episodes yeah. where people are like, well, does anything happen here? Like, is anything happen? I think like for me, I can understand why Jon Favreau and Robert Rodriguez, Dave Filoni, these are the stories they want to tell because these are, the kinds of stories that inspired Star Wars. Absolutely. So it's That's the so Flash true. Gordon serializations. It's the kind of like Batman 66, like what's going to happen next? But it doesn't have to be a what's going to happen next in the scale of the galaxy. It's a what's going to happen next with this funny creature who yeah. might owe you some money. And also something that you <laughs> touched on that I thought is actually really interesting that we haven't really talked about is in a way, this goes back to an, one of the oldest Star Wars criticisms of all time that's also one of the things that certain Star Wars fans love the most, which is the concept of um, kind of bureaucracy and politics. Like, yeah. that is what George Lucas wanted to explore in the prequels, you know? Absolutely. And in this way, something that I think is really interesting that Boba Fett reflects of that kind of legacy of Star Wars is the idea of, like, what happens when that bureaucracy isn't there and how can somebody 
kind of try and make a better space in the galaxy, which is what all of Star Wars is about. It's, yeah, when it's about how, do, never... how do we govern? How do we govern this ungovernable yeah. like? Space? But when he, he, you've never had a good, la- like kind of road map yeah. for that. And something I kind of think is funny a criticism is people are like, "Why is Boba so bad at being a gangster?" Because because he's never been one before. Yeah, he's like, never it's just done like, it before. He's literally kinda, doing it for the first time. In that know? way, I kind of think that it's actually an interesting exploration. And I definitely, I always want to see more sort of radical imagination brought to these stories that we see about like the worlds we could live in or the ways they could be governed. So I actually think there's something really interesting about a community governance kind of focus on this of like how can we make things happen without really having a hierarchy and and how can boba give back to these kids and these people on mos espa who are the reason that he's still alive and the reason he has this power that actually is interesting to me and i very much think that it reflects things that have gone before in star wars these ideas of governance and rebuilding and and in that way i I think it would be really cool to see it explored more but i definitely feel like the bottle episode nature of like having the Mandalorian come back and it being Mandalorian episodes, I think that might be the future of this world might be bottle episodes in other shows returning back. Yeah, I mean, certainly if you look at Clone Wars, that was kind of the model. There'd be yep. like three and three episode arc here, two episode arc here, but it was a lot of kind of like adventure of the week stuff. So I, I, I would not be surprised to see that. It's something you said about uh, governance and about the way Boba is, you know, cooperating, is collaborating with the mods and with other people really uh, made me think about how this was like one of the more overtly class conscious, I joked mm-hmm. about it a lot in the recap, but overtly class conscious Star Wars stories I think I've ever encountered with the mods really pushing that argument of you've got to understand what's happening to yeah. the people here on the street level of Mos Espa who don't have opportunities, who uh, don't get to, you know, retire to a massive fortified palace with a, with a, you know, uh, free back to tank in the bedroom. Like you've got to understand what the, what the actual people are going through. And that was a large part of the finale, even to the point of it was semi-comical, but like, the part where the Freetowners, the Drash's like Freetown partner, they have this little back and forth about, oh, the city versus uh, Freetown mm-hmm. versus the more like uh, country. Meanwhile, it's like, you know, Freetown looks exactly the same as Boston. Yeah. It might be a little bit smaller, but you all live in the desert. In yeah. like an out of the way, <laughs> you know, planet. But that was fascinating to see that kind of play out. Yeah. Those ideas of like city versus country and uh, and different class conflicts within Star Wars. I actually think that's really interesting. And probably a reason why me and you have had a more favorable reaction to this is I think that as we dig into it, it's actually touching on a lot of stuff that we loved from The Last Jedi which I know is like we always say it's a divisive movie. It's like some people love it, some people hate it. There's very reasonable criticisms on each side. But for me, it's like I there's a lot about that movie that I love, like Justice for Finn. I truly believe he's a Jedi. It's my one critique. But otherwise, (laughs) like there's a lot about that movie I love. And the end of that movie has that massive like kind of class statement of like everyone can use the force. You do not have to be an elitist bloodline 
a legacy family. You do not have to have been trained from birth as a child soldier by this like ex cult of like kind of one percenters. You can literally just be a kid with a broom who's in indentured servitude and you can use the force. And I kind of, I loved that was this kind of accessibility democratization of the force was so exciting to me. So I actually think that bringing those seeds of class conversation and class consciousness into this kind of more ground level Western, no magical force, whatever, but like, yeah. I think that's actually part of the reason why they're exploring some stuff there that I think Star Wars is a really ripe ground for. And I think that in that way, even if it's been a little bit clunky for some people or it's of been course, kind it's of... Of course, it's Star Wars. It's yeah, always going to be, it's you know? always gonna be kind of clunky. And and I think as well, that's something else we, we've kind of talked about um, before, you know, we've recorded, but like, it's a really strange space to be in when a movie that was made and expected to be a flop and was allowed to have full creative cre freedom that when you watch it now, we're talking about A New Hope, obviously, is just... And got a lot of janky effects and all this kind of like yeah. it's it's you know it's 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 an old movie that was made with practical effects that looks a certain way and has always been a bit clunky space opera that's what it is that's the point of it that's and so to have gone on this journey over all these decades and ended up in a space where it's now owned by this huge corporation and not just that but it's now creating art that is put up against prestige tv yeah I think that is a lot of where these, not even necessarily critiques, but maybe people's kind of confusion about oh. what they're wanting for the show or or how they feel like it should fit into this space is it really comes from the fact that this is uh, essentially like a B-movie <laughs> that has like become this huge cultural zeitgeist force. And in that way, it's kind of like, yeah, the conversations are going to be a little bit clunky. Like there's going to be some funny cg that maybe doesn't fit or there's going to be like a funny accent or something that's there's, kind of what right. star wars is there's going to be a big uh battle a climactic battle that takes place uh, specifically because characters make a series, series of, of bad very decisions. very bad decisions that don't make any sense but are necessary for this big really fun battle to take place i agree with you i think they're listen we're in a moment now where nerd culture for lack of a of a better yeah, you know, more artful term is kind of like the dominant storytelling mode in movies and television. Uh, certainly, in 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 the discourse, the kind of internet centric discourse around pop culture, and I think that that is again, like you and I are in the tank for this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm a, a you know lifelong comic fan, lifelong Star Wars fan. This is the moment I've been waiting for all my life to talk about all of this. But I think if you, if this was not your thing, or if you were just like like casually. a lot of people who are just like kind of like casually into Star Wars, casually into comics, and then you moved on with your life and grew up to it, you know, for lack of, a, again, for lack of a better term, I think that there is probably one, some anxiety of like, God, is this what the world is? Like, I have to talk about this stuff now. Like, this is it. If I want to commune with people about a movie or about TV, it's like, I have to talk about this and not The Sopranos. And, and I get that if, you know, and I think also there is the way these stories are told are kind of not like the way 
TV and mm-hmm. movies have unfolded in the past. There's different needs that are serviced. There is a different type of engagement with the fan base. There's a like more of a two-way communication, less of an authorial kind of we will tell you what the story is and at least an awareness of what the fans want and desire yeah. that makes it a more kind of like two-way conversation. And I think that is uncomfortable for audiences and or critics who are not, you know, naturally either naturally versed in this subject matter or who just don't like it or are not fans of it. I also think that's a really interesting point that you made about the two-way conversation because something that I think about a lot, and this definitely occurs in Star Wars, but especially in comics, a lot of what we know uh, in the world of Marvel and DC is actually defined by fans and not yeah, because true. of um, not because of like internet campaigns or whatever. I'm talking about decades ago, like people talk about, uh, we've talked about the multiverse a lot. So anyone listening has probably heard of the term Marvel 616, right? And that's kind of seen as the main Marvel comics timeline. And we've heard it referenced in the movies. That was put in a comic many years ago um, by Alan Moore, but it was fans who decided via... Uh, forums and conversations and con- and conventions, they made that the accepted term to the point where yeah. Marvel used to say, please, please, that's not the real term. The 616 doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> And then because of years of fans doing this, yeah. uh, talking about it a certain way and that becoming the sort of accepted colloquialism for it, it then becomes canon and it's put in a Marvel movie as a sort of nod and all these different things. So in that way, those conversations really do happen because... And I think Star Wars speaks to this a lot because of the lulls, like when there wasn't a Star Wars movie for 10 years, you know, the things that keep it going are fans who go to conventions. It's people like Mark Hamill who will go and and keep the the kind of fire of it alive and, and the love for it. And in that way, I think that makes it much more of a two way conversation. And that is very different to a lot of other ways that art is created, even though that passion is very shared. Like the reason that certain art house films and directors are famous and are popular and become part of the cultural lexicon is because of the people who love those movies. So in that way, it's actually very similar, but that ongoing conversation between the people who create comic books and Star Wars and this kind of what is now seen as like populist art and was before seen as like nerd stuff, that is, that's such a good call because that is such a unique, specific way of interacting. And it's also completely fine if people are like, I have no interest in that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I think a lot about WandaVision, right? I loved that show. It was like I everything. It. Yeah. It, it was everything that I could have ever wanted because it was based on these really weird 80s comics that I love. It was these weird characters. It was this tragic romance. But I think so much about that show where if you are just a casual TV viewer, even if you've watched the MCU movies, If you watch that show, I just can't even fathom how inaccessible it must have been for some people. And I think about that a lot. Like, I think there can be TV for all kinds of people, but I can also understand how people can become frustrated when the most popular pop culture things of TV and film can be very inaccessible to a casual viewer in a way that certain things haven't been before. 
I agree. There's an interesting conversation going along these lines right now with the Oscars. The mm-hmm. Oscar nominations were released. We're not going to go into that. But you see a lot of – like Richard Brody's column in The New Yorker talked about how there is a discussion of, oh, uh, you know, should uh, Spider-Man No Way Home be nominated somehow to, to raise the ratings for this uh, – the Oscar uh, telecast? Wouldn't that connect – cinema more with the kind of like populist urges that really the art form was like built on Mm -hmm. in its early decades. And I, listen, (laughs) I love Spider-Man. I don't care if it's not, I'm nominated for an Oscar. I don't believe, you know, it's like not to me, do I think about it as an Oscar movie? No, but I think it speaks to this kind of like underlying anxiety that, Mm -hmm. that, that is out there amongst critics and some uh, people who make movies and, and television of like, oh my God, is this just, when is this yeah. going to be over? Is this just like what the world is like now? Like, uh, we're just going to have to talk about Spider-Man all the time. And, <laughs> I, you know, maybe. Well, I, I, feel, I feel bad for the people who are, again, are not fans of this. Yeah. You raise a really good point because earlier you talked about like the discourse, as we call it, you know, I think the internet yeah. and the way, you know, so many things are digital now. We just heard the yeah. terrible news that EW is going to be out of print, you know, 200 jobs yeah. lost and all that. So that's happening more and more. So the internet has this extra kind of shine. It it, it controls a lot of the conversations. And the funny thing is, like we've talked about this in pre-pro, our producer Saul has made the most incredible list that I'm about to yes. reference. <laughs> but like the funny thing is like superheroes, comic books, this stuff has been a cultural staple for decades. Yes. Max Fleischer's first Superman cartoon. Uh, just want to say, don't be going and seeking those out on this recommendation because they are very racist. But it yes. was nominated for best short subject cartoons. Uh, the original Superman movie, Batman 89, Dick Tracy, Ghost World, History of Violence, Dark Knight, Logan, Joker. Like there are many, many movies that have been recognized by the Oscars. And there are many comic books that have been adapted and been seen critically um, as valuable forms of art. I think that the way that the internet is and the way that we are experiencing these movies, a lot of times because of the way the MCU is, um, highlighting things like Easter eggs, needing to making people want to read the comics, which to me is so exciting because I want people to read comics and I want them to love comics and understand where these stories come from. But I think that is where it becomes overwhelming for some people, where it feels like that is the only thing that is being talked about because that's what we're writing about. I mean, that's my, that's most of my job. And I, I feel lucky every day. I thank people who listen to Same. the podcast. I, I, I thank people who love this stuff. Cause like you said, we've been preparing for this our whole life and we never knew <laughs> so it would true. be able to be something we could live doing to talk about these things that we love and to revisit them. You know, I'm doing a lot of coverage in the lead up to the Batman and I'm getting to kind of go and read a 12-issue arc and do a big excavation of what worked about it, what do I like about it, What do, speaking about Jim Lee and his incredible art, you know, that's so brilliant. But I can definitely understand how in a world where previously a lot of the things that got to have that level of in-depth excavation and, and exploration and theorizing and talking on were kind of what people would see as high art, I can understand how it can be a bit of a juxta, a kind of strange, jarring juxtaposition. Finally, let's any uh, predictions for either Boba and Fennec as characters or in the ongoing story of a potential uh, Book of Boba Vett season two or even how this dovetails into The Mandalorian. I'm struck by 
listen, the size of the N1 Starfighter tells me that Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, is not going to be bounty hunting anytime mm-hmm. soon. There is just not – there's barely any space in there. Um, so we're going to see, I think, a lot of – monster of the week slash adventure of the week kind of stories is my guess but any theories as we go forward i totally agree with you on that i think that we're going to continue this conversation between the mandalorian and the jedi way because the truth is that yes sure grogu picked being a mandalorian good choice love that for the baby happy that was the right choice <laughs> but he is definitely gonna get his hands on that i just love the way you say the baby <laughs> the baby i love it i love Werner <laughs> herzog so much talking about our high art low art conversation yeah. so having yeah. him in the mandalorian yeah. i talk about the baby all the time and i always feel I like Werner when i say it where is the, the baby i'd like to see the baby yes. like i would like to see it but um i think that People are gonna, Grogu is this mysterious race. He's this force powerful being. People are not gonna leave him alone just because he chose the Mandalorian way. And I think that that is gonna be our big conflict going forward. People who wanna understand the force, people who are Jedis, who believe that actually he should be with the Jedi. They don't care what he picked. It's not really a choice. It's It's a legacy. It's like something you have to do. It's a duty, you know? So I think that's it. I also think they just, wanted to have him in that cool Naboo starfighter. I know. <laughs> it looks so cool. Uh, yeah, and then I think that for Boba, Fennec, the Mod Squad, all of whom I really, really do care about, I love soft Boba. Like, that works for me. I love creature work. I love animals. So that that connection works. But um, I think that's bottle episode appearances. I think we see different versions of them going forward. Maybe we see younger versions. Maybe we see older. Mm. I think... A lot of what we're seeing now is seeding this generally expansive vision of how we can see people come in and out of stories again, just like we've seen them do in this series with stuff from the animated universe. Yes. You know, I threw my olive branch to the to the folks, to the critics and the people who don't like Star Wars and or comics. And now I'm going to make them mad with uh, this reference. I would not be surprised to see a Book of Boba Fett season two that was kind of like season two of The Wire. <laughs> Sorry, I say that just to make a critic mad. First but of you all, know, let's like where, where, in it. where we get where we're, it's not. Listen, already season one w- was uncomfortable being purely Boba focused, right? So I think that that focus even widens out further. I would pitch a type of show that is that follows the mods for certain mm-hmm. stories, that follows Boba for certain stories, that follows Fennec for certain stories, that follows the people in Freetown for certain stories and is about them building a community from the ground up, creating this tribe. And we follow the members of that tribe uh, from story to story, not necessarily focused on any one character. Uh, the Book of Boba Fett then is like an anthology mm-hmm. series where the character in the main is – Moss Espa and the surrounding areas as it as the people here struggle to build their own story, to write their own story independent of interference yeah. from the Pike Syndicate or anyone else from the outside. I I think we'll see something like that if we get a Boba Fett season two, not just focused on on Boba Fett. And then for the Mandalorian, I agree with you. We're getting into the real meat now, this kind of mm-hmm. struggle between the Mandalorian cultural influence and the Jedi cultural influence on Grogu and how Din Djarin can either remain respectful of that or seek to influence that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it, you mentioned, like, obviously, Grogu chose the chainmail and 
Luke was apparently so pissed that he couldn't even fly Grogu. To <laughs> him. He was like, go he off with this you robot, go. this badly yeah. behaved robot. Yeah, R2, you go fly him back. I'm not dealing I'm with I'm sick this of this shit. shit. I'm going to sit here and just watch my droids build the temple. Plan temples. to kill my nephew in a few Stone years. by stone. I'm pissed. But I, I think that that struggle will continue. And as you mentioned, you know, Grogu chose a chainmail, but is also using the force and using it with more skill and ability than uh, than we've seen in the past. His powers are growing. His ability mm-hmm. to call on them and growing. His comfort level with himself as a as a, a, a user of the force is is growing. His confidence is growing. So I think we're going to see that more. You know, listen, Grogu. We can't say it enough. He's still a baby. Mm-hmm. He's a growing baby who wants to eat, 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 and eat and play with shiny things, and. As his ability to use the force grows, will his how does that interact with his childlike nature? Yes. Like does his wisdom grow to meet that? And I this is the part of the story that I've been waiting for and I can't wait to see it told. Lest we not forget, this baby was choke forcing people. Like he was using <laughs> yeah, the dark well, side. Though. He yeah, was using like, the dark side. And Luke doesn't seem to know about that, slash didn't necessarily teach him though we were speaking to the more duality almost like a gray jedi kind of version of luke that we see at the end of jedi but um yeah i'm really interested and i definitely think you're onto something like dave filoni robert rodriguez john favreau they love this serialized storytelling they love these adventure of the week stories they love these little arcs that they perfected you know especially dave filoni in the cartoons so why not have boba fett and book of boba fett you know saw pointed out it's called book it's literally stories you can do different stories so i think that that's a really good call i think we could likely see that be the route where that's where they get to do this style of storytelling and then the mandalorian obi-wan these other things each one's going to tell different kind of narrative take a different kind of narrative framework well i can't wait to talk about those stories uh, as they appear up next our nerd out segment In this week's Nerd Out, our recurring segment where you tell us what you love and why and why we should also love the thing that you love, Anthony pitches us on Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files series. Hi, gang. I'm Anthony. I love the show and I wanted to take a moment to nerd out to you about one of my favorite universes to get lost in, which is called The Dresden Files. It's a series of novels uh, by author Jim Butcher that is currently up to 17 books long, three short story collections, a comic series, a collectible card game, and a full-blown pen and paper RPG. The books are an urban fantasy that take place in modern Chicago and follow our hero, one hairy Blackstone Copperfield Dresden, the often touted only working wizard P.I. in the Yellow Pages. He is a wise-cracking, spell-slinging wizard who often helps the Chicago Police Department and other worldly organizations to solve crime and bring down baddies when things start to go bump in the night. How did I get mixed up in the Dresden Files? Well, I really discovered book one called Stormfront uh, by chance in a local bookstore, and I was immediately hooked by the witty banter, the lovable characters, and Butcher's awesome spin on the genre by weaving historical, mythological, and pop culture into his stories in what feels fresh. Why should you check out the series? 
Well, Dresden and his steadfast friends tackle everything from ghosts, werewolves, demons, vampires, and evil wizards, all while he's shooting his mouth off in a way that all at once invokes Han Solo, Indiana Jones, Spider-Man, and maybe even a little Deadpool. There are battles with necromancers involving zombie dinosaurs. There are prophecies and fallen angels, paladins and dragons, all happening under the nose of a very ignorant population of mortals. One of my favorite additions is the idea of different flavors of vampires. For example, in the Dresdenverse, vampires exist in different courts. The black court is like your Dracula. The white court is like your Twilight Daywalkers. The red court is your Dust Till Dawn vamps. And the mysterious Jade court, well, they're unconfirmed. I also like how Deep Butcher dives into the idea of classic fairies, or as they prefer to be called, the she. In my opinion, it's a crying shame that the property has not really erupted into other media formats like video games, board games, or streaming series, but despite that, I think you'll really enjoy the books. We're all eagerly awaiting the release date of book 18, but both books 16 and 17 came out in 2020. So, if you want to check out what is sure to be a hit in the near future, pick up Stormfront and you won't be disappointed. Thanks, Anthony, for submitting. If you want to be featured, send your nerd out pitch to x-ray at crooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. Up next, we're in the end game now, folks. Yes, we are in the end game now. And today, Rosie and I ponder who is getting that beautiful, shiny medal of Yavin for winning the Book of Boba Fett series. We all, we of course know that Chewbacca is not going to get it because he was cruelly locked out of, uh, I guess, being uh, just uh, the disrespect echoes throughout the ages. But <laughs> we are allowed to give our Medal of Yavin to anyone who we uh, do so please. I will go first. I'm going to go with my Medal of Yavin. Gosh, uh, there's so you know, the appearance of Din Djarin in the middle of the series, Grogu, uh, getting to see Grogu's early training with Luke on the unnamed beautiful forested planet where uh, Luke is uh, currently building his temple. But I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Sophie Thatcher, who was so fantastic in Yellow Jackets and is having a moment right now. It was wonderful in this series as the leader of the mods, co-leader of the mods. They're kind of really, they're a commune. So there's no real leadership <laughs> no structure, but the main, no hierarchy, so to speak. But the main character along with SCAD is Sophie Thatcher's Drash. And for me, the winner is Sophie Thatcher, who is from Chicago. Sophie Thatcher's Carrie Fisher talking to Grand Moff Tarkin esque English accent. Would you call this a British accent? You as a as a as a citizen a of British, the British accent. Isles? This is this is a British accent, very much in the legacy of Star Wars British accents, which was Star Wars was made originally, you know, in Pinewood. So a lot of the actors had English accents and that kind of led to this generic English British accent throughout Star Wars history. So I love it. That is a great pick. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board, says Drash. We cannot retreat from here. We must fight. And if we retreat, there will be no cover. 
I was born here. It's just beautiful, beautiful work uh, from Sophie Thatcher. Is there, can you place it at all? Is there, could you give us, you, tell again, you again, as an expert, like where, if you heard this in the wild, I'm gonna tell you where what would you say where this, where this accent there's is no, from? There's no specific area, <laughs> but it's called posh. That is a posh accent. <gasps> That's what it is. So it's like, it's like, you know how everyone thinks that English people all speak like Mary Poppins? Like a lot of people don't think I'm <laughs> English because yeah, I don't yeah, speak yeah. like Mary Poppins. This is kind of the Hollywood. It's not as outrageous as Mary Poppins, but it's like, it's that she she sounds posh. She pronounces things very eloquently and kind of like that. So <laughs> it, it's it's definitely always the, it's the Hollywood English accent. And I love it because I love Sophie Thatcher and her hair. I would like to add that. I was going to pick that, but hair. you picked Sophie Thatcher. So I'm adding that. She'll get the medal also for the shag cut, the icon. The shag, she know. is having, man, uh, talk about two cool haircuts in two consecutive wow. shows. Powerful. Yellow Jackets and now Book of Boba Fett. Shouts to Sophie Thatcher, the haircut and the accent. Rosie, who wins your medal of Yavin? There's so many people. Mine is like, again, probably a jewel situation. So No, just go. go. Let us, let us know everybody. There's so many wins. things. So I think I agree with you. Grogu, obviously, loved the baby. Loved Din. I loved the moment in the finale where he like throws himself at Din and then he's like tapping his helmet like, yeah. take this shit off. I want to see your face, dad. Like, and, and Din's like, no, nah, no, nah, there's people around. Like, not right now, man. Not right now. So that was very cute. Um, I love to see Thundercat joining the Star Wars universe. That was like unbelievably great casting. Really and that to me is like very high up there. Like, and I, I love their role. It's, I know it was all a bit chintzy, but I love like a good yeah. cyberpunk story. So the, the mod squad, I love them. And the other one, I think the real medal one, because we're going to make up for the past with Chewbacca. It's okay. It's got to be Black Chrysanthemum. Come on. He Thank needs, you for doing this. You know, it Thank you for doing done. that. We're doing it to make history, to make history right. But also because I loved to see the internet reaction to this character. Yes. Like seeing people thirst after this like sexy black metal Wookiee with like, <laughs> and there's all these like images with like all these love hearts put over them. And like, I just loved the pure outpouring that was there for him. Like this, people just want to be loved by a Wookiee who can tear someone's arms off if they're better at a game than them. Like, and I feel like as well, as a Wookiee fan, there was a lot of cool Wookiee moments, like him getting angry yes. in the bar because Wookiees are just inherently competitive and he hates to see people win. Getting to whoop some leathery Trandoshan ass exactly. because Trandoshans are known enslavers of Wookiee people was like very, yeah. very cathartic. That's a great pick. And that's it for our endgame. Who do you think won? Who is your pick uh, for the winner of Book of Boba Fett? Who would you give your personal Medal of Yavin to? Hit us at hashtag XRV Endgame to give us your pick. A big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, plug everything. Plug all your stuff. Plug, plug it all. Yes, that's me, uh, Rosie Knight. I have a website, <laughs> if you Google me. <laughs> um, on that website, you can read a lot of comics. I have a lot of comics on there that you can read for free that I have written. I am Rosie Marks, M-A-R-X, on Instagram and also Letterboxd, which I am actually updating this year, which has been very hilarious because I have very <laughs> strange tastes, apparently. I'm learning from my Letterboxd. Um <laughs> Yeah, I will have uh, some exciting comic book news coming up soon that we have talked about Ooh. that I cannot say yet. And also, if you are excited for 
the Batman, which we will obviously be covering. Yes. Um, I will have a lot of articles coming up in the lead up and afterwards. And if you want to read anything about the Batman now, I interviewed Matt Reeves almost two years ago about a really wonderful TV show that he made that was a science fiction TV show based on a series of photographs. And during that, we just it was a really long chat and he talked so much about the Batman and he talked about how much he loved Batman Returns and he talked about all these different things to do with the Batman and, and the things that inspired him. So if you want to have a look at that, it's, there's a few different articles on Nerdist if you just search Rosie Knight, Matt Reeves. If you're excited to see pull. Robert Pattinson. I'm always excited to see Robert Pattinson. Always, I love, I listen. Oh, he's such a joy. I love Robert Pattinson. I think that he is one of our, I don't, I, is he underrated? I think he's an underrated actor who makes I like, think so. incredibly cool choices. He probably won't be underrated after the Batman, is my guess. Because like, that's the kind of role where people will go, oh, why was he picked for this? And then they'll find good time or they'll find, you know, the lighthouse. Also, if you want to, enjoy Robert Pattinson talking about those. GQ did this unbelievable 20-minute interview of him introducing his most iconic characters. And it's a great primer on why he was picked for the Batman, but it's also hilarious. (laughs) So that's like my favorite thing I watched this week. Well, justice for Cedric Diggory. If you want to learn more about what we explore each week, Check out our listener's guide to all things X-ray vision in the show notes or on our website. Catch the next episode on February 18th. And again, don't forget to send your nerd out submissions to x-ray at crooked.com or just to bother us to cover something. If we are not covering it, if we haven't covered it yet, if we mentioned that we're going to cover it and we haven't done it enough to your liking, just keep haranguing us. We love it. What's the thing where we like to be punished? Just punish us with your takes that you would like us to, to give and keep inundating us with the things that you would like us to cover. Don't forget, rate and review us. X-Ray Vision, five stars to the moon on every podcast platform. Please! X-Ray Vision. It's a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Caroline Reston and Carlton Gillespie are our consulting producers and our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Big thanks to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. See you next time. Hey, Mike. This is his dog from Marini. I want to talk about the rancor today. You know, uh, we don't talk a lot about the fact that Boba Fett, without any kind of training, uh, just connected with his rancor, Mike. This guy loves animals, and it has paid off in a big way because he took that rancor out for a ride, and they just demolished those annihilator droids. The annihilators got annihilated. You want to talk about irony like that, Mike? Listen, the rancor is here to stay, Mike. And he is here to just be a wonderful pet and a wonderful partner for Boba Fett, who is just going to be riding around the sands on the back of that beautiful little beast, Mike. I got to tell you, I got to say, uh, he did better than I ever thought he would in his very first battle. The baby is here, and uh, I, I, I just love what they're doing, Mike. I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. In the 1970s, a young group of violent revolutionaries joined forces to create the Weather Underground Organization, a group of radicals who brawled with police officers and bombed the Pentagon, all in the name of ending racism. Hi, I'm Zaid Ayers-Dorn, host of Crooked Media's new podcast, Mother Country Radicals, which dives into the true story of how my parents and their friends went from peace-loving activists to topping the FBI's most wanted list. 
New episodes of Mother Country Radicals are out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 